Welcome to the Business Bookshelf. Today, our guest is Cyrus Rogers. Cyrus is a television producer, business owner, and motivational speaker who has combined his passion for sport with his keen interest in leadership, success, and greatness. His obsession for sport has led to years of study and research of the best sports stars and how they progressed to the top of their games. Having worked as a sports journalist for near on two decades and having interviewed some of the world's biggest sports stars, Cyrus discovered that the essential elements for success in sports translates to business, sales, and personal development. Cyrus is the author of Competitive Edge, Lessons from the Sports World for Sustained Success in Life. Who better to learn from and how to be successful than those who've reached the top of their game and stayed there? Using sport as a prism, this book is for people who want to make changes in their personal and professional lives in order to beat the opposition and take home the gold. So enjoy the interview. Welcome to the Business Bookshelf Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Pepler. Like you, I'm a lifetime learner and find books one of the best ways to do this. The purpose of this podcast, then, is to interview authors of new business books that get insights into their thinking, lives, and businesses all in a light-friendly manner. Are you a sports fan? Have you looked at sports stars and teams and applied what they do to your life, your leadership, and your company? If you have, then you'll really enjoy this interview. At one point, we talk about the Super Bowl, and it seems I was right about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady. So welcome to the podcast, Cyrus. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's absolutely fantastic having you. So, Cyrus, where am I speaking to you from? I am based in Johannesburg, South Africa. I've been here for the better part of 15 years, if not a bit longer. Um, but yeah, this is home. Joburg is home. As it is for me. Now, Cyrus, I read your book, so thank you so much. And one of the things I read about you, you is that you were born in Zimbabwe. Could you tell us about your life growing up in Zimbabwe, how you fell in love with sport, and maybe a little bit about your life leading up to the writing of your book today? Sure, no problem. Um, it's actually quite an interesting thing because I put that that part of, of my, my early life in the book. Um, when I think back of being back home in Zimbabwe, I've always got great memories because everything we did had sport around it. My dad was hugely involved in sports. He was uh, the first black captain of the Rhodesian basketball team. Um, and as the team was integrating, you know, he, he he found himself in a leadership role and from there went on to various sports administration um, positions in Zimbabwean sport from the Olympic Committee to Zimbabwean football. And so wh while he was, you know, moving to these different areas, we then were then fed all of the different sports love and knowledge through him and through my mom, who was also an avid sports lover. Um, and so from a very young age, we've been kicking balls, bouncing balls, doing everything we can on the sports field. Um, and that really sort of comes from my parents. Um, and, and I think that from that, and having had a very, very long standing love of reading, I then fell in love with wanting to write. And mm. so I just managed to find a way to, to marry the two things together, my love for sport, my love for reading, and also then also my love for writing. Um, and that was one of the key things that actually built me up to who I, I, I became to, to become this author of Competitive Edge. Um, and writing the, the book was also an interesting experience because you know you know stuff, but when you're actually delving into the, the research that it takes to put a book together, it tests you in a way. And I think mm. I really enjoyed that aspect too. 
And just before we get onto the book, which I'm dying to get on with too, uh, can you tell us like which sports, sports stars do you really like and who have you met that's famous? Oh, um, <laughs> there's always this wish list, right, of people that you wish you could actually meet. And mm. I've I've been a basketball lover because my dad was involved in basketball. Um, and so I've managed to, to get into a position where I was working um, alongside the NBA, the National Basketball Association in the U.S., mm. um, as I was, I was editing the NBA.com website for Africa at one point, and so managed to get across to the U.S. for the All-Star Game um, in New Orleans a couple of years back. And so I managed to meet the likes of Stephen Curry. Um, I met James Harden, who were wow. also MVPs. Uh, LeBron James walked past me. He didn't really say much other than, hey, uh, but <laughs> it was still <laughs> a heck of an experience. Um, and, and so I've, I've met quite a few of the different NBA stars, especially those who've come to Africa for what has been the NBA Africa game that they've hosted in Johannesburg. They had hosted three of them. Um, it just sort of stopped a few years back. Um, so when it comes to sports stars, I've, I've been lucky enough to, to meet various sports stars from, from all over the different sporting codes, um, including former Springbok legends, um, former Springbok coaches, mm. like Nick Mallet. I, I, I had a really great interview with him um, with regards to conservation, uh, nature conservation last year. So there's been a, a whole ragtag number of people, but the, the biggest stars have been the US ones and generally wow. the NBA guys. You must have really thought it would be really fantastic to have your father there as well. He would have loved that trip to the U.S. to meet the, the basketball legends, wouldn't he? Yeah, he would have. It's actually <laughs> quite a quite a crazy thing because um, in all of his um, experiences over the years, one of the key things, because he was the um, Secretary General of the Zimbabwe Olympic Committee, so mm. he's been to a number of Olympic Games. So when it comes to, you know, star-studded interactions, uh. I am lagging behind by loads. <laughs> I, mean, I think the last sort of Olympic trip, he took my mom with him and they managed to meet uh, Serena and Venus Williams, um, just to name a, a couple of them. So I've always felt that, you know, if, if my parents can hobnob with the rich and famous, then at some point my time will come. And so when it did, <laughs> I didn't feel too out of place. So Cyrus, congratulations on your book, The Competitive Edge, Lessons from the Sporting World for Sustained Success in Life. So what led you to writing the book, you know, the process of going through it? And can you give us a brief overview of it? Sure. So what led to writing it was that I'd been wanting to, to write a book for, for so long. I, I've been, and I mentioned this a little earlier, I've been so keen on, on writing from when I was very, very young. I'm a bit of a sort of fiction nut. So I, I write a lot of, of, of fiction and I'd never oh. thought of the nonfiction space as being something that I could actually delve into. Um, I've been a public speaker and in the public speaking realm for, I'd say about almost goodness, 11, 12 years now. Mm. And um, in, in that time, I've developed a talk called Leading in the Winner's Circle, um, which primarily looks at leadership lessons that anybody can employ from the sporting world. And that particular keynote address has been very well received at the various um, organizations I've given it to. And, you know, I've had people from different walks of life come up to me and ask me questions about, you know, things that I've then ended up putting into the book, which was lessons that I'd learned from the observations that I'd, I'd made from sports stars, from seeing exactly how sports teams go about doing their thing, and also how winners 
tend to keep winning. There's a psychology to that as well. So I've tried to take nuggets of all of these things that I've spent my, I suppose, better part of my life actually observing, researching, and and in some ways mastering and understanding exactly how this can be put into things that anybody can can use in their own lives. And that's what Competitive Edge has been. It's about looking at ways for people to succeed. It is a book mm. about success. And if you want to learn about success, who best to learn from than those who've been successful, the winners. And that's what the book is really about, is to say, these are the tricks that some of the winners are using and you can use them too. Mm. So I'm looking for a competitive edge. I'm in sales and it's quite a competitive um, environment. I have to compete against you know, a lot of different people to win the deal. So what would, if you, so obviously I've got your attention now. What would you say to yeah. me and the listeners about what do I need to develop to get that competitive edge in my life? Well, there's a section, a couple of sections in the book where I deal with that specifically. Mm. And it really also has to do with how you're looking at it. If you're looking at it primarily as an individual, like your question has asked, then I would say, okay, what is it about the environment that you perhaps feel you can actually gain an edge over those who are working in the same space as you. So let's say, for mm. instance, you know the product that you're selling way better than anybody else does. What about your product knowledge can actually stand you out as opposed to the other people who are also selling because you're part of a sales force. Mm. And that's one of the things I look at. Now, that's if you're working within an organization and you're trying to sell more than the people who are working around you. The other thing then, and I mentioned this in the book as well, is we, we live in a world where you are actually always competing against others, whether it be for jobs, whether it be for attention. And so it's about trying to find a way to stand out and not just stand out, but succeed within that lane that you've chosen. So I would always then say, look at what your strengths are. Sports people tend to do that. Um, you can't expect somebody who is destined to play in the front row in a rugby team who's big and squat to become Usain Bolt and a sprinter. It won't happen overnight. So you then play to your strengths. And once you've found exactly what your niche is and what your strengths are, you maximize those. You don't waste your time on trying to develop skills that aren't necessarily going to get you to the next level. Because what you're doing is when you level up to, um, to try and gain something new, you might be plateauing at the same time. Rather, Try and find the one thing, make that something that works really well for you, and then master that, as opposed to trying to find four or five different skills and then having those be on an average basis. Yeah, and constant learning, I suppose. Um, like this podcast exactly. as an example, it's like I'm always trying to hone my skills by listening to other people, reading books like you've written, etc., to try and gain that little bit of knowledge that might make the difference. And, and that's what's fun about this stuff as well, because we have to also look at it as being a fun exercise. If you're doing it just for monetary success or trying to get a, a different position, um, and you know whether it be in your job, you, you'll find that you're you're taking the fun out of it, and you have to try and find ways in order to make things tasks that you want to do. Um, and I think that's what what's great because sport is enjoyable. And, yeah. And yes. Sports people do look at it as being their job, but they also know it definitely beats being in a coal mine. So, you know, you want <laughs> to be able to do the thing you love, do it well, and then succeed at it. Now, you talk about something that's really purpose, uh, topical at the moment, which is purpose. And, uh, you know, I've interviewed dozens and dozens of people on this podcast, 
about purpose. It definitely is a key, key part of our lives. What would you say about purpose? What, you know, should you have one? Why is purpose so important in a person's life? Oh, I think it's it almost goes without saying sometimes because mm. you know if if we don't have something that drives us, you know, it's like the lighthouse. Understanding that there's a beacon. That's what purpose is. It's about saying I see what I need to be doing, and therefore that underpins all of the things that I do. Um, yeah. And in the book, I also talk about that in the sense that sometimes finding your purpose can seem like a very tough thing. I remember as as a younger person, one of the and I suppose we all go through this, you don't know what you want to do or who you want to be. And that questioning can often lead to the biggest turmoils in your life. And that, for some people, doesn't ever go away. You know, you, you could come to the end of your working life thinking, man, did I just do stuff to, to keep myself busy or did I find my purpose? Mm. And this is a very important thing because mainly if and when you do hit the tough times, and there are always tough times, you know why you are doing what you're doing. Without purpose, there's no reason. And therefore, there's no motivation. So sports, sports teams do the exact same thing. And I, and I talk about it in Competitive Edge, where if you were just playing a game, um, let's say you were Manchester United and there was no trophy at the end of the season. It was literally like, thank you, you played 30 games, you can all go home now, we had fun. Why would anybody do it outside, mm. of course, of you know getting paid? So the trophy is the purpose. It is the thing that is pushing the team forward, knowing that there is a goal that you're going for. And that's what every single sport is about, having that purpose. Do you need to score goals in order to win? Yes. Do you need to stop people from scoring in order to, to win? Yes. So can you maximize those efforts in order to be the best that you can in those fields? Um, interestingly, the NFL um, Super Bowl is coming up in, yes. in the States. Tom Brady, and, what a man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Excellent sports person. Not so sure about years politics. Old. <laughs> <laughs> he's unbelievable, yeah. but but it's also it also helps that he's playing. He's he's a master at a sport where you you generally don't take as many of the hits as anybody else does <laughs> if you, if the if the guys are doing their job. Yeah, and and that's what Brady's been really good at is playing on teams where they've they've managed to keep him safe throughout. And so when you look at uh, Patrick Mahomes, who's going to be his, uh, his opposite quarterback um, in in the Super Bowl final, and trust me. Mahomes is winning it. Um, I think <laughs> I, I, I generally back youthful exuberance when it comes to these things. At this point, Tom might have finished everything in, in the gas yeah. tank. The Tampa Bay but, is going to win it in their home stadium. I'm pretty sure. Oh, let's see. Let's see. <laughs> I, I actually love American I, football. I think it's really cool. Um, it's <laughs> unbelievable. And and but to, to finish the point I was, yeah. I was making about purpose was there's two twofolds because in essence Tom Brady's 43 and he's still doing this. He's won more than anybody else has in the NFL. What is his purpose for continuing to play at 43 in mm. a game where you can take really big hits? And that is that he is driven to win. It is the <laughs> only thing that he is well, focused he, on. He does he get $25 million a year as well. That's that's just his payment. Trust me, he could get that. He could get that on endorsements, right? And he'd still live comfortably. Um, but 
you know, when you look at teams as well, don't you think the best teams and the best performing teams are not about the trophy as well? It's about something bigger. Like when, say, the, the rugby team, South African rugby team wins the World Cup, they're not winning it for the trophy, they're winning it for the whole country. And then they evaluate, you know, they're elevating their purpose beyond the sport almost to be this nation building type of activity as well. So just to remind everyone that we're speaking to Cyrus Rogers about his really great new book, Competitive Edge, Lessons from the Sporting World for Sustained Success in Life. And I, I just want to get on to Cyrus' leadership, if that's okay. It, it takes a big part of your book. Yeah. And sport is one of those areas where leadership plays such a pivotal role. Like you would never think, but we see it mm. time and time and time again when a, you know, a football manager that leaves one team and goes to another or like Alex Ferguson that we mentioned Manchester United before and, and never recovers. Yeah. So, you know, leadership is so absolutely vital in the business world and any world actually. So maybe can you give us some points uh, about, you know, how to be a good leader and an effective leader? Well, it's, it's quite a, obviously it's a broad subject, mm. um, but I feel that one of the key areas is really focusing on what you see your leadership style needs to be with the team that you're leading. You cannot have the same sort of style for every different environment. You will have leaders who are like, this is who I am. I will not change. But then sometimes you also have the environments that that dictate how you have to be. And Sir Alex Ferguson is a really, really great example because in his style at Manchester United, he found that he, he, he inherited a team that didn't have an identity. Mm. And so for the large portion of his first few years there, he started developing the identity around that. And that's a key trait of what good leaders do is that they focus on the identity of whatever team that they're leading, and then they try to push that forward. So that is also linked to goal setting um, and having an understanding as to what the bigger picture is. Leadership requires you to do so many things well, um, and often that requires motivating or planning ahead, or putting your shoulder around somebody when they need it. And sometimes you have to also be the one who's using the bullhorn. I remember so Alex Ferguson used to call it the hairdryer, where he'd get in people's faces, <laughs> yeah. and, and he'd scream and shout at them. But that doesn't necessarily work on everybody. You know, where our character traits are so different. And so, for instance, if you take a look at Jose Mourinho, to keep it in the football realm, mm. um, he is such a complex leader, because he's known to get so tight with the players in his team. He understands them, they become family. And what he then gets is that he's got people who will be his soldiers when they need to be pushed hard. Yeah. So nobody takes what he says too hard and they start working together. So being able to say, look, you understand that I, I really love you as a person. However, the job that we need to do requires us to put aside all of our, our lovey-dovey feelings and work in one shared goal. Other leaders might say, look, I've given you a command. You have to follow through on that. So it, it is diff different, but I tend to feel the best leaders are the ones who listen. They do plan ahead, but they also play the situation well. And that's one of the most important things. Mm -hmm. And, and I suppose a leader, it's also about like luck in a way as well, because like, you look at David Moyes and how he did so well at Everton, then went to Manchester United and mm -hmm. Real Sociedad and everyone, and, like, you know, did terribly. And now he's back at West Ham or he's at West Ham and he's doing well again. So yeah. maybe it's yeah. also about luck in the position and how you communicate with your people and those kind of things. 
I think that it, it, in some cases, yes, you have to be fortunate. Um, Carlo Ancelotti, the Everton manager at the moment, yeah. says he, he, when, so when people called him uh, a lucky manager, he said, I'd rather be lucky than good um, because lucky <laughs> means that you're winning. <laughs> and, and it's actually quite a, a, a remarkable quote that because you, you realize that fortune does play a part, but I think that you can put yourself in the best position for success every single time. I think that sometimes if you haven't done the research and you just take a job because, well, it's on offer, you tend to find that people get caught short. And I feel that that's what happened with Moyes at his time at Manchester United, is that he, Sir Alex Ferguson saw something in him, perhaps it was the Scottish link, and he just said, there's something about this guy that reminds me of me, and I think he'll do well in the situation. What Moyes failed to do was look at the situation and say, I'm going into a space where I've never had to drive a Ferrari. I've always driven a Fiat Uno. And I've managed to take that Fiat Uno to the max. It's done everything I needed. Now I've got a supercar. Are my skills best suited for that? And that's one of the, the key reasons why he actually didn't, didn't succeed there. Somebody like Mourinho found ways to, to work within the spaces that he was in, but he's also managed to, to bring the best out of, of teams that didn't necessarily have that. So, for instance, his first spell at FC Porto, where they won the Champions League, they mm. were an unknown entity. He had world-class players there, but people didn't know they were world-class because of the environment. You know, they didn't have an understanding as to what was actually there. Nobody else would have been able to do what he did uh, with Porto to take them to the, the very heights that he did. And then for him to go and succeed at the various clubs that he did. Um, but you'll find that, that leaders in particular will sometimes take roles that are not best suited for them because of the prestige that it comes with or the money that it comes with. And often that's where the failures start to creep in because the reasoning behind why they were going for that position isn't necessarily the best. And then they don't have the skill set required to actually perform in the position that they find themselves in. Mm. I'm going to use that as a reason why I haven't progressed as fast as I should have. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, the excuse leadership. <laughs> but I, I, I just want to, you know, say that this applies to any kind of business and environment. I've been fortunate to interview Jason Redman, who's a, a Navy SEAL or ex-Navy mm. SEAL. And he tells the story about these boat crews that during the, you know, the training for SEALs, and yeah. they would look at the boat crews and normally they'd be sort of a, a leader of a boat crew that would win every single race and a bad one. Yeah. And then what they would do is like swap the leaders around. So, and often, you know, then you would see an improvement. And often the, the, the leader who swapped to the bad boat crew would start to win and the bad leader on the good boat crew would start to lose. It's like amazing how yeah. important leadership is. It really is. And, and it's actually quite interesting when you, you take that into the business environment. And that's what I try to do with the book as well, to, to give business examples in the sense that um, you look at, at the McDonald's story, um, and it's quite a, an interesting one, when, uh, especially when you look at how Ray Kroc got involved with the McDonald's brand, and they made a great movie about it called The Founder. Yeah, McDonald's as a business was doing really well with the McDonald's brothers doing what they did at their store. What Ray Kroc did was he understood what they had in front of them and changed that model because he realized just how big it could be. So if you then put the McDonald's brothers in the position that Ray Kroc was in when McDonald's became the multinational franchise that it was, it wouldn't have succeeded at all because yeah. they didn't see 
what that business was. He looked at what they had and realized the potential for it. So it's exactly the same thing that you'll have leaders who are great in the situations that they're in, then you put them in somewhere else and they might not necessarily succeed. But also to your point, sometimes good leaders can just get the best out of bad situations. Yeah, absolutely. So talking about change, the last question I want to ask about your book is change. And, you know, we cope with change constantly. Uh, and, you yeah. know, I've just joined a, jo- a new job at the beginning of this year. It's going fantastically, by the way. Thank you. Um, <laughs> can, oh, excellent. You, Good to hear. <laughs> can you give me some advice or the listeners advice on how to cope with this relentless change that we go through on a constant basis? It's such a tough one. Um, mm. I, I lean a lot on some of the um, advice I got from one of the, the world's greatest change experts, um, Michael Jackson, otherwise known as the other Michael Jackson. Yes, yes, uh, that's right. He, he does a keynote address uh, on the challenge of change. And in essence, there, there are a few constants in life that we can definitely you know, um, have all the way through. I know everybody talks about the death and taxes, but the other one is change. And we don't seem to find ways to deal with the fact that our situations are constantly changing. And yet what we want is change in our lives, but what we want is improvement. And I think that's one of the key things about um, how we have to look at life specifically. When you look at what change is, change is um, your situation no longer being what it was before, whether it's for the good or for the bad. And what we invariably want is comfort. That's what we are. We are creatures of comfort and we're creatures of habit. So when things start to deviate from the path that we are most comfortable with, we start to get jittery. So the best way to actually deal with that kind of stuff, and this is what I do, is I tend to look at whatever change as being a challenge, Mm. something that I can actually look at as a task and see how well I can deal with that. So it's almost like the gamification of it. And that's one of my favorite things is to say, okay, this isn't what it was before. I could cry about it having changed, but what I could also do is make a bit of a game of it to say, how do I win in this scenario? How do I remain competitive when things start to to change? Because the other way is to look at it and say, oh, I can't handle this. I'm just going to stay the same and everything else will have to deal with itself. And that never, ever fixes anything (laughs) in your space. So um, I'm, I'm always looking at it that way. And I say, if I can do this one or two things, then I can get a lot more comfortable. And then I can be happy with what I'm doing going forward. So congratulations on the new job. I'm sure you're very happy with the things that are changing there. <laughs> I, I was, I'm trying to do my own business last year. And to be honest, I, I'm absolutely delighted with a fixed income right now. <laughs> but I, I, that's, that's what one of the most important parts, because mm-hmm. in essence, it's a, it was what was important to you at the time. And right now, a fixed, in, a fixed income is the key thing. At the time, you were like, no, probably independence is what was important to me uh, or to you at the time. And that kind of stuff changes. Yet we, we're not necessarily um, too worried about when that changes, when we start to move our own goalposts. But you realize that in, the, in a pandemic, it's nice to have a fixed income. Definitely. Um, as opposed to having to chase money and chase business. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and so Cyrus, and, and just to remind, I'm interviewing Cyrus Rogers. Uh, what does 2021 look like for you? What, what are you doing this year? What have you got on your plate? 
The plate is a very big one. There's so much um, stuff happening, though. And I think we're all playing the sort of hurry up and wait game at the moment. So um, much like you, I started a, a business, although I started my business in 2019, started swimmingly. Um, it's a media um, company called 1123 Media, and we do all sorts of um, digital media production as well as we've staged a few um, online events uh, for for some sporting bodies and a few businesses so that's been going quite well but as uh, everybody understands with the economic environment being as as unstable as it is a lot of customers are always like oh I'm very keen but I don't know what my budgets are and that's your question about change is a really interesting one because mm. you start having to think of how you 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 pivot away from what your central tenant is to make something work and see how that works. And right now, things are going quite well. Um, the re people have received the book very, very well. And uh, I'm very happy to have that because I've had quite a few people who've read the book come back to me and say they've really loved it. Well, and, it is um, a good book. That's, that's, so what is the oh, website? You. Is it Living 23, did you say? 11. 11. 11.23, okay, sorry. 1123. Yeah. 1123 Media. So that's the company name. And you can Google that. It's actually the word 11 with the number 23 and obviously ah, the word media okay. after that. And then dot um, .net. So 1123media.net. Yes. Awesome. That's yes, fantastic. That's I'll definitely have that link in the show notes so people can go and have a look. Creative development, yeah, post-production. That's it. We, we, we actually just, that's one of my favorite things is being creative. And um, I've worked in the sports space before, the home and garden and decor space before, the property space. So uh, there's a way of covering just about absolutely everything that's out there. Uh, but if people want to get in touch with me or get to know more about me, then cyrusrogers.com, which is C-Y-R-U-S-R-O-G-E-R-S.com. CyrusRogers.com. And I'll also have that link in the show notes as well. CyrusRogers.com. Cool. So 1123media and CyrusRogers.com. You can get access to your books. And is that the best way of contacting mm. you if they want to book you as a public, as a speaker or voiceover artist, those type of things? Is that CyrusRogers.com? Yeah, exactly. CyrusRogers.com. They'll have a lot of the, the information on there. I am represented by a speaking agency, Unique Speaker Bureau. Um, cool. They've been representing me for oh, about a, a decade or so. Um, but Thank you so much, Cyrus, for, for joining me. I really, really, really appreciate it. And thanks again for your book, Competitive Edge, Lessons from the Sporting World for Sustained Success in Life. I really enjoyed reading it. Thank you so much. And that's great to hear. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, if you, people would like to contact me, then please do. My email address is lance at ideastorm.ca.za. My website is www.ideastorm.ca.za. And if you've got an author, if you read a book that you've really enjoyed, then please let me know and I'll try and get hold of the author. So you can email me. A couple of people have done that and I'm trying to get hold of their authors. So please do that. And so Cyrus, absolutely pleasure. So until next time, stay well, stay safe, and goodbye. Thank you very much. Bye.